What up, what up? Welcome back to the There's More podcast. This is your host, Hannah Nitz, who just always wants to talk about it. Seriously, like, you name the date, you name the time, I'll show up and I'll talk about it. And that's the more in our relationship with God. I have loved God my whole life. I grew up in an awesome Christian home, surrounded by Christian people, doing the Christian thing, and just really loving God. But man, in the last two years, I came to understand that there was even more. Have you ever had that feeling where like you're sitting in church and you're like, I've heard this sermon before. And someone's like, you know, this reminds me of a verse. And they read a verse that you've heard a hundred times. Like I had done the Christian thing for so long that I just felt like I had all there was of God. And then bam, God blew the lid off. Yeah, last year, 2019, God opened my eyes to the more, to this unending moreness and enjoyment and beauty that there is in this close, growing relationship with God. So that's what the podcast is, and that's what we talk about as often as I can. So this week is a guest speaker. And the talk that I'm bringing you, not trying to sound dramatic, but is the best message or sermon that I heard in all of 2020. I'm serious. And it was one given by one of my best friends, by Laura Veal. So Laura and I were teaching together at our local church here in Akron, Ohio, called Grace Church. And we taught this class called There's More. (laughs) Very on brand. And we taught through my favorite thing that we talk about here on the podcast of what it looks like to experience the more with God. But we taught it in a classroom type format in this five week group. So one week of the teaching, Laura and I called the shift and both of us taught on these major shifts that happened in our understanding of God, essentially a big change that we both experienced internally that helped us experience and enjoy God in this new way, like unlocked the more. So my teaching that day, I taught on something you've heard me talk about before here on the podcast, essentially that God wanted my desire and not my doing. And that's true for you too, listener. Like God wants your desire of him, not your doing for him. This was a huge shift that happened, and it helped me see that God didn't need anything from me. He just wanted relationship with me. It changed how I saw God. It changed how I saw myself. It changed, honestly, my whole life. I mean, this is where the podcast started. So Laura shared an equally world-shaking shift that was different, but just as impactful. She taught on dying to self and essentially that that shift changed everything she saw about God and everything she understood about herself. And guys, what Laura taught, I had never heard before. Like this message rocked me. I remember we taught the class together during like the 9 a.m. service. And the second service that was at like, I don't know, 10.30 or 11, 
Like, so the first service, I sit in this class with Laura. I teach. She teaches. I hear her share this for the first time ever. And then I went into the main service of our church to listen to the sermon that week. I couldn't (laughs) concentrate. (laughs) Like, I'm so sorry to my pastor. But I just sat there and got out my Bible and I kept rereading this passage that Laura taught from in Ezekiel 36. I mean, it, I had never seen it. I had never understood it this way. And I never realized how much I was still at the center of everything. So it's a slightly longer um, message than what I usually share on the podcast, but it's so good that I want you to hear it. But here's the deal. This was a class that Laura and I were teaching to 20 people. So I literally had my phone (laughs) sitting on the table in front of us, just recording Laura and I's teaching for the few people who were missing the class that day. Like never ever was I anticipating that this slightly crappy audio that I would record on my phone would ever end up on the podcast. But this message is so good. I can't help it. Like I need more people to hear it. Um, so I'm playing it even though, you know, the audio's not the bomb diggity jam. Okay. It's just, it's mediocre. So is this the best sound quality for a podcast episode? No. Will Laura cut out a few times as she's speaking? Yes. Will it sound as though she's walking to the other side of the room while she's talking? Yes, because she was. (laughs) I believe this message is that important. And one thing for you to know here from the beginning, Laura and I were using a whiteboard um, as she was teaching this. All the teachings from her. You do hear me on the side, like, cheering her on because I was up front with her so excited. But she was using a whiteboard. And on one side of the whiteboard, she had, we are at the center of everything. And on the other side of the whiteboard, she wrote, God is at the center of everything. And she kind of compared and contrasted those up on the board as she was teaching. So sometimes you'll hear her go up to the board. And so, for example, on the we are at the center of everything, she said what that looks like, what struggles might be in that. And then when she wrote, God is at the center of everything, she wrote out some of the things that we're going to read here in Ezekiel about what God did. He did it. He did it. He did it. So... You'll hear her point to the board and make that comparison a few times. Uh, But everything else, I feel like you're going to get, even though you weren't seeing Laura's beauty in person. So, friends, I'm really pumped for you to hear this. Uh, And hopefully, man, prayerfully, I'm just praying that you are as challenged by these words from my sweet, sweet friend as I was. Here we go. If someone said, explain like the biggest change that you feel like has happened in your life in the last several years, few years, um, the simple word, the simple wording would just be this, this uh, coming to an understanding of dying to self that I never understood before. So we've heard um, Pastor Jeff even recently, he preached on this, I don't know, month back. Um, you guys might be familiar with uh, we'll, Mark eight thirty four. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This is repeated in Matthew. We read about it in Luke. And 
the thing that I feel like, this is a really tricky conversation. I've tried to have this conversation a handful, more than a handful of times with people. And every single time, it's so easy to get kind of wrapped up in like finely focused, specific details. Like we say, okay, dying to self. Yeah, I get that. Like that's me playing with my kids when I'm just absolutely exhausted. That's me not picking a fight with my spouse or my friend because I know it's just unnecessary tension that I'm creating. We, those kind of examples we can easily grab onto, but it's like this, this transforming understanding begins when we actually understand the bigger picture of what dying to self is all about. And it's, it's when we start to grasp uh, essentially the why behind it. Um, and so this conversation is a doozy. Uh, there is a lot of scripture that I just uh, can't help but just bring into the conversation. Um, it's going to feel really prickly at times. Um, that's Hannah's word. I've grown to love. <laughs> and, um, and I'm going to try to wrap it up. We're aiming for 45 minutes. So. <laughs> um, but essentially what we're going to talk about today is what God took over months and months uh, and just gave me this whole new transformed understanding of something that is so powerful. And I would love to just sit down with every single one of you and have this conversation over 10 coffee dates, but we're going to not do that. We're going to, we're going to do it today. Okay. So, um, for the starting point, we are going to go to Ezekiel 36 and I'm going to have someone read that. Um, Ezekiel 36, we'll go to verse 24, and we'll read through 29. So before we get into that, just real quick, the context of this, this is written by um, the prophet Ezekiel, and he's writing while he's in exile. Which Ezekiel is, is after Psalms, if anyone's having a hard time finding yeah, it. It's like Psalms, second half of the Old Testament. Psalms, Proverbs, something, something. Ecclesiastes. Isaiah, Jeremiah, yeah. Lamentations. Ezekiel, Daniel, Ezekiel. Hosea. <laughs> okay, so the, the author is Ezekiel. He's writing this while the nation of Judah um, is in exile, meaning Babylon came in and just booted all of them out of their homeland. And so all of God's people are dispersed throughout the region of Babylon. And um, so what Ezekiel is writing about is the new covenant that God was going to establish with them. When I say new covenant, does anyone know what that means? Essentially, the new covenant is Jesus, right? We have the old covenant. That's the sacrificial system. That's all the law, all of that of the Old Testament. So much of the Old Testament is pointing to the fact that this new covenant, this new testament, this... this um, that Jesus is coming to fulfill what this old covenant couldn't do, okay? So when Ezekiel is, say, is telling God's people uh, who are all in exile about this new covenant, he's talking about Jesus, okay? So this is not just like any random scripture. This is like a very powerful scripture of the Old Testament. Um, okay, so Ezekiel 36. Somebody read for me starting uh, verse 24 to verse 29. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all of your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you 
a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statuses and be careful to obey my rules and shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. We read this scripture. This is the new covenant. This is telling us what's going to come with Jesus, okay? This is what we have been invited into. And what does it say? It says, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you from your impurities. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. I will move you to follow my decrees. I will save you from all your uncleanness. Guys, like when I read that, this was kind of all happening around the same time. I was so struck with the reality that of what God has done. I think... The point that is so powerful that I want to make here is that what we have in God, first and foremost, is because of what he did, what he did, what he did. He says, I will, I will, I will. Somewhere along the way, if you remember that chart that was um, life under God, somewhere along the way, I come to believe that I kind of mustered up this, that my desire for God is that Somewhere I had decided that, God, I'm going to choose you. And because I'm going to choose you, I kind of had this expectation of my life looking a certain way. Like, I chose you, so you kind of owe me. And I'm not sure if that just gets mixed in with with the beauty of the free will conversation that we do have choices to make. But God just started just pounding me with this reality, which I could go into that for hours, of the fact that I get God. Not because of anything that I've done, but because of everything that he has done. And we're going to unpack this more. But let's look. um, I'll just read this. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. Further down in verse 5, it says God's power is what is keeping us in our faith. Um, Psalm 22, 9 through 10, actually, I just today came across, or I was reading and I saw this. It just struck me again. Um, Where is it? It says, you brought me out of the womb and you made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast, or yeah, at my mother's breast. For from birth, I was cast on you from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Ephesians 2, verse 8. So, um... You guys know this verse. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Again, somewhere along the lines, I come to believe something that that just was, was twisting this idea in my head that I had come to God on my own. My faith in God was something that I mustered up, that I became a Christian because I wanted to become a Christian, and therefore I had access to God. Missing the reality that the reason that I had access to God, the reason that I got God was solely because of a work that he had already begun in my life. So when it says in Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. What is this? What's the this that we're talking about? This is not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. Yeah, what just strictly even from the verse itself. It's saying 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this faith is a gift from God. So my belief in God, my faith in God was something that in and of itself was gifted to me. Is this, does this make sense? Are you seeing where like, I just fully confessing, like I, I literally was like, I came into my faith. Like I came to belief in you. So God, since I chose to believe in you, don't you like, aren't, aren't I kind of owed something in this? Not realizing that, that the reason I even get God in the first place has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with what he did, what he did, what he did. I will do this. I will give you that heart of uh, take away that heart of stone. I will put my spirit in you. Something about this was just huge to me. And, and I'm just praying that if, if it ha- it's not something that you've downloaded, that, that it'll, it'll click. Um, of course, we have to come into agreement with this gifted faith. But the reason that we even have access to it in the beginning is because God gave it to you. He gifted it to you. We did not come to this on our own. Okay. <clears throat> so, again, this idea that God owes me something. That's where confusion in this area kind of led me to, to believe. Um, you owe me because I kind of mustered up this belief in you. You owe me because uh, I chose you, so there's got to be something I get out of this. Missing the fact that like, I couldn't come to this on my own. I already said this. John 15, 5 even says, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 3, 27 says, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. The only reason I have access to you, God, has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with you. All right, so how, how do we know this? Okay, so aside from verses like Ezekiel 36, the stuff I just talked about, how do we know that the sole reason that I have access to God is solely because of what God did? I'm just going to ramble off these uh, pretty quickly. But actually, let me write. I'm going to write. Jump this through. is the word. All right. Anyone, are you guys familiar with this word? Depravity, I don't know. It kind of makes you feel icky. Um, Romans 3, 10 through 12, we know this. There is no one righteous, not even one. No one does good, not even one. We've heard that. Romans 8, 7 says, the mind of the flesh. So when it says mind of the flesh, what does that mean? It's us without his Holy Spirit. It's us functioning without his spirit. It's in our humanness. So the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. Romans 5.10 says, we were enemies to God. Genesis 8.21 says that every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. This is just a sampling, by the way. Romans 7.18, for I know that good itself does not even dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. John 6.63, our flesh counts for nothing. Uh, first Corinthians two fourteen. Let me see. This is, I was thinking about this this morning. I didn't have time to write it down. First Corinthians two fourteen. It says the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit, but considers them to be foolishness. You can't even understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. That's first Corinthians two fourteen. So let me just paint a, the reality of what I'm trying to say. We did not come to believe in God on our own. We do not have access to God because we, can't, we mustered up some desire for him in our, in our, in our heads. Colossians 2.13 says that it was while we were dead in our, in our trespasses, while we were hostile, 
evil enemies to God, that God made us alive. Okay? This might, I don't know, this might feel just heavy and weird, but it's kind of setting the stage for something that I think is powerful. And again, that God really worked into uh, my reality. So what's the point of all of this? The point of all of this is that God owes us nothing. Why does God owe us nothing? I expect, I want, for years, I, God owed me something in my brain. I was always looking for him to give me something. But the reality was, is he had already given me everything. Like, the creator of the universe already gave me this hostile enemy who had no interest in him. He gave me everything because he did it, he did it, he did it. He began the work to give me give himself to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm into it. Thank you. Thank you. It's good news. So I have the dwelling of the spirit. I have access to the father. I have the anointing of our minds. I have access to relationship. I literally have everything that matters in this 80, 90 years because I get God. Do we understand? This was really, really it's just like, it just was unraveling this reality that, that he owed me something. And the crazy thing is, is that he does bless us. Oh, he's, he gives us so much blessing in this life, but he doesn't owe us any of that. Like, because what we have is our creator. We have the one who gave us life, wanting to be with us in, in the physical life and then have this forever life together. Like, it's, it's the whole point, okay? But I was so caught up that I chose you You owe me something. My life should look this way. And I had to come to the reality that God owes me nothing because he already gave me everything. And I didn't get myself there. I didn't get that access on my own. I was this, but he did this. And so now I get God. Okay? All right. So this is when it gets really prickly. Uh, That was the appetizer. (laughs) Hope you liked it. Um, Actually, I do want to look at this. You mentioned um, Psalm 23, Kayla. This was just this morning. She said, I said I had a good time with God this morning. She was like, well, I hope he didn't add anything to your talk because it's already (laughs) too long. And uh, he did. So Psalm 23, just highlighting the fact that he owes me nothing because he already gave me everything. We're going to actually come back to the psalm a couple times. You don't have to turn to it. But the Lord is my shepherd. Verse 1 says, I lack nothing. Okay? Just keep that in your mind. We'll come back to it. All right. So now to the prickly. So why did God go to these lengths that he did? I will. I will. I will. I will do all of these things. Why did he do it? I had a feeling no one would want to answer. Let's go back to Ezekiel 36. Again, very prickly, but it's awesome. Stick with me. You guys are amazing. I'm going to read this one because it feels a little little weird. Uh, Here we go. Ezekiel 36. We're going to start in verse 16. Again, this is the Lord speaking through Ezekiel to his people. They're in exile. He's setting the stage for all that he's going to do in order to redeem the brokenness of his people, okay? Because they can't do it on their own. So it says, Again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. When the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. 
Their conduct, yeah, yeah, was like a woman's monthly uncleanness in my sight. So I poured out my wrath on what? them. What? Yeah. That's what it says. <laughs> That's crazy. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. Okay, here we go. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. Again, feels prickly. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people. And yet they have had to leave his land. What does he say in verse 21? I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show you the holiness of my great name, which you have profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them, then the nations will know that I am Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through their eyes. Then he sets up the stage. I will, I will, I will. Then verse 32, just, just to remind us one more time, I want you to know that I am not doing this for your sake. Whew. Oh man, that feels, that feels heavy. Tell me if you feel weird right now. Give me a little head nod. Yeah. It's a little weird. It feels a little weird. Stick with me. It's pretty awesome. Here's the reality that somehow I was missing. First off, that at the center of God's purposes is not me. At the center of God's purposes is God. Seems kind of re- that, that doesn't seem that crazy when you say it out loud. But the reason that God began the work that he began is because he has zeal for who he is. He has zeal for his glory. He has zeal for his name. I had concern for my holy name. So this is not just, this is not just the Old Testament. How often do you hear people say, well, the Old Testament God... It's the same God of the New Testament, and it's a beautiful thing, and we're going to unpack it even more. But right now, I'm studying Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, it talks about our adoption as sons and daughters through Christ, and it says that it's in accordance with his pleasure and will and to the praise of his glorious grace. Ephesians 1, uh, again, further down, verses 7 through 12, continues to tell us what God has done. It says he's given us redemption through Christ's blood. He's given us forgiveness of our sins. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. He's chosen us according to his plan and his purpose. And then why does it say that? To the praise of his glory. You see this all throughout the Bible. Again, today, I'm in Psalm 23. And what does Psalm 23 say? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. We'll come back to that. What am I trying to say? First off, we get God, and that's freaking awesome. Second off, we get God not because of anything that we have done, but because of everything that he has done. He did it. He did it. He did it. We had no interest in that until he began this work in our lives. Okay. Next. He owes us nothing. 
He's already given us everything because he gave us himself. The creator of the universe set, who set everything in motion wanted you to have him, wanted you to have him, wanted you to have him, wanted you to have him. He wanted you to have access to that big, zealous, holy, perfect, glorious creator. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. So if you feel, actually, the, ne the next point would just be that if God is at the center of his purposes, then, then God does not exist for me, which that cut to my core, because if you remember that chart, it was um, life over God, that God existed, of course, to make my life go how it ought to go. Completely inaccurate, because at the center of God's focus and God's purposes is God. One of my favorite, uh, David Platt, Pastor David Platt was talking on this topic, and he just said, who would we want to be at the center of the, of, of the universe? Like, certainly not me when you really think about it, and yet we behave in that way as if that's the reality, right? Okay, this is when it's cool. It's been cool all along, but all right. So what happens with this, with this world, with this universe in which instead of God at the center, we are at the center? What, what happens with that? We're going to go back and nerd out together. So back in the 1400s, I'm actually, I stole this from Pastor Levigny, Amadine East. It's a great, it's a great diagram uh, and, just, and story or whatever. But back in the 1400s, okay, astronomers believed that the Earth was at the center of the universe. So this is called a geocentric planetary system. Like, everything revolves around the Earth. Everything revolves around us, obviously. So this is what they thought back in the 1400s. Everything revolves around humanity, okay? So astronomers tried to map this out with everything orbiting around the Earth. And it was deeply frustrating. It was so chaotic. There was no logic. Take a look at the papers that are at the center of your table. Every planet looked like it was on a crash course collision with each other. That's what you're going to see on the left. So then this guy, Copernicus, comes along. And he says, well, wait a second. What if the Earth isn't at the center? What if it's the sun? And so he draws this diagram where the sun is at the center. And he steps back and he says, doesn't this make so much sense? Isn't there so much order and beauty and simplicity to this? Do you see it? So then he goes to the astronomers and he says, guys, the humanity, the earth, is not at the center. It's the sun. And it's incredible. Look at the, look at the order. Look at the, the beauty. And what do they say to him? Burn them at the stake. I don't like that. They're like, we don't want to radically orient and shift our minds around what is at the center of everything. I'm used to this idea that the earth, me, that I am at the center of everything. But do you see the, the chaos? Do you see how it's not a good thing? It's not a good thing. And yet it still is uncomfortable to actually come into agreement with. The conversation of dying to self begins to take hold when we finally recognize the beauty of putting God at the center of our purposes. When we recognize the fact that we get God, and that is 
freaking awesome. And we have this access because of his purposes, his glory, that he would take this and invite that into this is insane. It's beautiful. When we start to, when this starts to become a reality, then this shift of dying to self is no longer this ticky-tack conversation of, well, I guess I don't pick a fight about this, or I guess I can let go of that. It's like, if, if this, if I get access to this because of everything that you did, if I had no business being within the center of being with you in these purposes, but, you, but I get this, I get God. When we come to that reality, then we can start to let go. Because these 80, 90 years are going to be complete chaos, like the picture, if this does not click in our brains. This, there's this quote by one of my favorite pastors. He says, this is Matt Chandler. The reason it's such a good thing that God is for God is because I've been set free from the universe being about me. Do you know how much conflict, how much anger, how much frustration in your life is birthed out of you thinking that the world is about you? I do know this. Do you know how much of a better human being you are? How happy you are if you understand that ultimately everything is about God and not about you? And then this is the best part. It is a freedom that few will taste. Nobody in here would think that they're smarter than God or that they're acting like God. No one in here is going to be like, I am God. Because if you did, we would call you crazy. But the problem is, why you won't declare it, you'll just live like it. This was me. I had all these kingdoms that I built up and I was at the center. My kids, my marriage, my relationships, everything orbited around me. And it just brought chaos. It brought frustration. It brought everything that you should expect it to bring. Because we have access to God. And that access puts God at the center of our lives. And I was trying to orbit around myself and pull him in every once in a while. You can be a part of this. Missing the whole point. So, this is when, if it's felt prickly, I hope that we can start to recognize all the, the incredible aspect of his love that, that's encompassed in this conversation. So, <clears throat> the depths of his love, it's, it's incredible. All right, Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 5. I'll read it. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which which you once walked. So it's talking about our depravity. You were dead in this. You were following the prince of the power of the air. That's the evil one. You were following the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And then what does it say? But God. But God, rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with him. When we were this, 
God did this. And he did this so that he would be glorified. But he invited us into that. He set his love on each and every one of us, rich in mercy, with great love. He set it on you when he invited you into that space. When he said, you are going to live your life in this, but I am going to invite you into this because it is good and I love you. I didn't find this on my own. I was doing this and I was a hot flipping mess. But God, rich in mercy, abounding in love, said, orient around me, daughter, and find your order. Find your beauty. Find your freedom. What is it? Galatians 15, or Galatians 5, 1, I think. For For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Free to no longer be orienting around something that is just going to end up chaotic. Collision after collision. Okay. Romans 8, 29. You don't have to turn there. But it says, Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It goes on in verse 30 to say that he then called us, he then justified us, and then he then glorified us. I will, I will, I will. And here's the cool part. The word for new, if you remember from last week, I get real amped on this. Is it gnosko? Is for, meaning before. Gnosko. Ah. What does that mean, friends? What it means is before the beginning of time, before he even created the earth or anything, he for knew, he for loved you. He set his love on every single one of you before you even had breath in your, before you were even a thought to your parents. Before creation, he for loved you. And because he for loved you, he brought you into this in which he is at the center of everything. His namesake is what is glory because it is in this space that we find order and beauty to our lives. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And then this is one of my favorites. I do want to turn there. Psalm 5. I'll read it because I'm on a roll. Having fun up here. <laughs> Having fun Can't up here. Now. I'm actually moving through this a lot faster than I thought. Psalm 5. Um, so starting in verse 4, this is written by David. And David is setting the stage for essentially life apart from God, the depravity with which we all enter this world. So <clears throat> let me read it. He says, For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness, With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and the deceitful you, Lord, detest. What does it say in verse 7? But I 
by your great love can come into your house. The first time I read this, this was the moment I literally put my Bible down and I wrote in my journal, I get God. Verse seven does not say because of my own righteousness. It's not you evil people are not welcome. You destroy those who tell lies. You detest the deceitful, but I am not that. So you love me. No, it's I by your great love. Other versions say by your great mercy. The only reason that I am not this is because of this. I will, I will, I will. I will give you everything that matters because I am going to do what has to be done so that you can have me. And when you have me, you get life. You get freedom. You get order. You get beauty to your life. I love that verse. Psalm 5. Um, that's missing. Okay. So, if we... Well, let me just say this. What I fear has happened to a lot of us, because this was the reality of my own life, um, is that I had cheapened the idea of God's love. God is love, and that's absolutely, absolutely true, and it's incredible. But somewhere along the lines, I had just said, okay, well, then I accept that love, because you are love. You have it for me. I accept it. I move on. I do my own thing. I am grateful for your love. This will be my life. I completely missed just the chasm between me and God. The fact that I, like Psalm 5 says, I have no business being in his presence, in the holy, glorious, perfect, sovereign, powerful God's presence. I have no business but God. By your great love, rich in your mercy, you extended that invitation to me. I get access to you. That is astounding. That is not a cheap love. That the cost of the cross goes so far beyond anything that I actually realize. And I think we have this, this fanatical emphasis on God's grace and his love preached throughout the church. And it's true because his grace and his love is amazing. But somewhere along the way, we've just missed the reality that we have no business even receiving it to begin with. And that I couldn't have stepped into it myself. I couldn't have chosen or desired that when I was a hostile, evil enemy. But he did it, he did it, he did it. He, for Gnosko, before time, set his love on you and said, I'm inviting you into this because this is good. This is what will give you life. And this is the foundation of dying to self. If we don't understand that that is better than life with me at the center, we're never going to get it. We're never going to get it. I didn't get it. I didn't get it until what I often say is he forced his hand and he essentially brought all of my self-obsession, all of my kingdoms crumbling down, and all I could do was look up. There's a quote by Francis Chan. I think I wrote it down. Let me see. He says, I spilled water on my papers today, so they're all sticking together. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. He says, we can't cure our na narcissism by trying to avoid, or I'm sorry, we can't cure our narcissism by trying to ignore ourselves. The solution is to stare at God. To stare at him. 
Because when we actually stare at him, everything else fades into its proper place. The beauty of this will not happen in our lives if we are staring at everything else and giving quick glances to God as we go throughout it. It's just not going to happen. <sighs> All right. It's awesome. Love you. 10 out of 10. Um, okay. We're getting to the end. This world, friends, as we are very aware, is crazy. It's hard. It's overwhelming. It's scary. A thousand difficulties that we are going to face in our lives. But write this in all caps. But we get God. That craziness, that hardship, everything that we are going to face in our lives. Uh, at a women's event I was at, I couldn't remember on purpose a few years ago, one of the speakers said, we can do this with God or without God. But the only reason that I get to do this with God is because he did it, he did it, he did it. He gave me the access to him. Do I care? Am I taking hold of that? Or am I just trying to do this on my own, going around, circling around myself day in and day out? Can I fix my narcissism by looking up? We have an anointing. First John 2.20, I say this all the time. We have an anointing from the Holy One. He did it. He gave us this anointing in our hearts and in our minds that knows deep down inside this is good. There's got to be a shift towards it. It's a spirit-moved thing, but we have choices to make along the way to step into that. And we'll talk about that here in just a second. But I do want to turn... 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. My sister knows this. We're studying it together in our life group. 1 Peter is at the end. It's after Hebrews. That's all I got. (laughs) Find it. (laughs) I'm struggling too. Here we go. Okay, 1 Peter. So, yes, it says, so we know that we were... um, we, were, or we know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that we were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to us from our forefathers. I like how the ESV says it. You were ransomed from what? When you hear ransomed, what do we think? I was ransomed from my sin, right? But guess what it says? You were ransomed from the futile ways, the empty life. That was passed down to you from your forefathers. So when the rest of culture is telling us, live with you at the center, this chaos, this chaos, this is normal. This is how we live. This is what these 90 years look like. This is what's been passed down to us year, generation after generation. This is how my mom was and my grandma was and her grandma. Like, if this is what we're familiar with. But what did God ransom, up, ransom us from? From that feudal life, that pointless way of living. This empty life, as the NIV says, it is a good thing that God is centered around God. It is a good thing that his purposes are for his glory and his namesake. Because if he was centered around us, that's a disaster. But we have got to make a shift in our minds to see that what we got invited to is this. 
not the chaos of our own universe around us, inviting God in bits and pieces, but just the full-fledged denial of myself at the center. I'm yours, God. You can never buy a black. Ephesians 2, 12 through 13 is another one I love. It's a good one. You write it down and you can go back to it if you'd like. But it just, it's reminding us how sweet it is that we get God. It says, remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far, far away, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So in this life, here and now, in this world, although we were once separated, hostile enemies, we are now brought near and united to him. We have this anointing so that we now know his promises. We can remind ourselves of his promises. We can cling to his promises, believing that they are good and true. We get his hope and we get God. It is insane that we have access to God when we have no business being in his presence. But he did that. He did that. He did that. For his glory and in love for us that existed before creation. So, the foundation of dying to self, this is it. It's from this reality that the little things and the big things get submitted, palms up, entrusted to God. This, this disagreement, I don't need to win it. This obsession with my fitness, I don't need to structure my day around it. This Instagram life I'm trying to portray, I don't need to be looking for my own glory. This job that's stressing me out, interfering with my family, interfering with my pursuit of God, I don't need to unwillingly cling to that. This house, this location, these friendships, this schedule, all of these things, God, I'm palms up to you with this. I believe that you have purposes for my life. And it doesn't mean that everything's got to change. It just means that I'm willing to let go if that is where you want me. But I, spend, I, would, I wasn't even looking to let go. I was saying, no, I will cling to this. And because I chose you, you're going to make this go right. Right? Isn't that how this works? Like I'm spending time with you so you owe that the things, the kingdoms that I've established are going to go well. And it's just not how it works. When we recognize who we've got, when we recognize what we've got, when we recognize how we've got him, why we've got him, then we are okay to surrender these things because our whole lives are centered in surrounding him. Everything we have starts and ends with God. And praise him for inviting us into that. So the last thing is just the reality if, if we're looking for practical this is an ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives. I already said that. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot muster this up on our own. Apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. But we have this, this free will. We have these choices that we can make. And if we want this to be the foundation for our lives, then we have to be willing to at least die, step into the death of my time, my way. All the time, right? This is how I lived my life. My time, my way. So God said, you want me? You want to live this life of beauty and order? 
rather than sleeping in, again, this is my story, rather than sleeping in that extra hour in the morning, give it. Let's see what we can do. Rather than day in and day out turning to comfort and relaxation at the end of the day, give it to me. Let's see what we can do. Rather than zoning out on my lunch break, rather than Instagramming when the kids are asleep, these are the neutral things that are not neutral, and yet we have a hard time letting go of them. Why? Because we still think that we're at the center, right? It's not working. Last page. (laughs) (laughs) That was so dramatic. (laughs) We will not get to a place where the spirit leads us into the freedom and the beauty and the joy of self-denial. And therefore, we will not experience the more if we won't even start with the denial of my time, my way, believing that God at the center is a beautiful thing. When this sunk in, it just opened the door to this insatiable desire for him. Before that, wasn't there. But he, he forced his hand he destroyed all the things that, or, that I thought orbited around me. Not destroyed. He just let them crumble to where all I could do was look up. And that just opened the door for this complete foundational reconstruction in which I realized that him at the center was the most beautiful thing. And that the fact that I even get to live that way is because of what he did, what he did, what he did. And I wanted it. Friends, I've had so many times since hearing this message from Laura where this question comes back to me of Hannah, is God at the center or are you at the center? And while this message itself felt um, big and covering a lot of ground, if you could take it, and start asking yourself that in all situations, it quickly becomes very practical and prickly. (laughs) Like, it's hard. But friend, this challenge, this verse, this concept has been so big and hard yet encouraging for me in this year. And man, my prayer, sweet listener, is that it will do the same for you. What would life look like if God was really at the center? Friends, thank you so much again for joining in and listening to the There's More podcast. I love knowing you're listening and I love hearing from you. Just this week, I heard from Jessica Wade who said that her and her best friend Katie both listen to the podcast and then they get together or they message each other and they have discussions about it. Could that be any cooler? I love the idea of processing these things, not only as you're listening between you and God, but bringing other people you love into the conversation. Maybe that's something you can do too. So thanks for the awesome idea, Jessica. Friends, I just, I want you to taste it. I want you to experience it. It's why I come here and yell on the microphone. It's what I get so pumped about. It's what you hear Laura so pumped about, about tasting and experiencing the more. Do you know that there's more for you in your relationship with God? And it's awesome.